Hello, listeners, and welcome to Sober Town Podcast. I am King 13, and today I am aboard the Sober Train, where I'm going to take you into a wonderful ride of sobriety with my very, very special guest. But first, I want to give a shout out to our website, SoberTownPodcast.com. Um, if you go there, listeners, what you'll find, it's a complete resource. It's like a one-stop shop of people's stories with their podcasts. There is educational and motivational material. We have blogs. We have resources. We have links. We have photos. Um, it's a fantastic website, and I wish I had something like this when I certainly began. And, uh, yeah, as I said, it's SoberTownPodcast.com. Now, I'm going to get on to my very special guest here today. She's a dear friend of mine who's been very influential in my journey of sobriety. And she's all the way from Norway. And her name is Lisa Fiona. How are you? Hello. Hello, Debs. This is uh, a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure for me too. And all the way across the world, it's so lovely that you joined me here on the train today. So for our listeners, what we're going to do is please, you know, the floor's your, just tell us a little bit about where Lisa Fiona's story, Carrie, uh, sort of came from. Yeah, I will, I will go back to the start. That was, that was what you meant, huh? Yeah. The start of yeah. My, yeah. Well, I started uh, experimenting with my father's cupboard with the, uh, with uh, what, what do you call it in English? Bar cupboard or something? Yeah, Where all the liquors, yeah. And he was the a dentist. Cupboard, yeah. yeah, he was a dentist. So we had, he had this uh, dentist liquor, which was 96% liquor, very, very strong. And uh, I don't, when I think about this today, I don't get it. Why did he had that on the floor? Because it was, you know, I had two siblings, which were, really just toddlers at the time. And then it was me, naughty me, who experimented and stole his 96% uh, liquor, which I measured uh, in a, I don't know, measure cup or something. And then I took, <clears throat> I boiled water with sugar to replace it. I don't know, I don't know where I got that idea. I don't, don't ask. I don't think, we didn't have Google. <laughs> so uh that was a wild thing and i served it to my uh closest friends we would put one small cork or what you call it from uh, from the top of the yeah the, the bottle very very little of course because this was really you know dangerous stuff uh in a cup of tea and then tea and then raisins and lemon and sugar and then we will drink it hot you know like a hot cup of tea with a bit a little bit of 96 percent of alcohol that was what we did and that was quite innocent we never got drunk on this we just tasted it because this was what my mother served in my home to the guests that uh, came to visit it was called grog uh, and it was sort of a a Swiss thing from Switzerland or maybe German mm -hmm. or something like that or Austria or from Austria. So that was the beginning. And then I don't think, I can't remember that I stole anything else that this, uh, this liquor and I can't remember that we drank it in another, in, uh, in another way. 
So I didn't know another way to, to drink it. I can think of many ways today, but then I didn't know. <laughs> so that was quite innocent, but it's, mm. it was the start. And then uh, I think I started to drink beer for one, one reason or another. And we had these large bottles of beer when I was um, young. I was probably 15 then. And uh, we would drink on all these, uh, I would do, I would uh, sail at the time. So we had all these sailing competitions. And after the sailing competitions, we would have a party and we would drink. And uh, we, we couldn't get into the, to the, to any clubs or anything because we were so young. So we were drinking outside of these, uh, uh, yeah, this party where there was a, a sailing party. And then we, we would go in. I don't understand how they could let us in when we had been drinking outside, but well, that was a problem because uh, no one could, you know, uh, uh, manage their drinking. We would always drink too much and get sick and everything. That's how I remember it anyway. And uh, I can't really remember so many details from my from my youth, but I'm sure that alcohol was uh, part of it every weekend. Not 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 daily, but every weekend uh, we went to parties. I even had a lot of parties in my house. My mother was always at home. So I had this beautiful um, uh, big room that she built for me after she got divorced from my father and we moved to, to this house that she built and she thought that I needed a big room because I was a teenager and she wanted me to have all the friends in the house so, she, so that she could be there and be a supervisor or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I don't think that the drinking was, you know, totally out of control because everyone knew that she was there. She was sitting in the living room and every time they had to go to the toilet, they had to go past her and she would invite them in and talk to them and my friends, that is. And I was also you know so it was it was quite uh, innocent not not really really bad at that time until i started on the what you call high school and we called uh, gymnasium that, at that time when i was 16 mm -hmm. then i think the drinking was more 16 17 18 so it developed and it, that, that was also because I met new people. There, there were more partying, uh, not the innocent thing that I have, more like when, yeah, you know. And when, and when I started after the gymnasium, when I started, I studied law. And uh, as a student, we partied a lot. We were mm. we would hang together with the economic students, and we were always there was a lot of drinking all the time. So um, I think that was just uh, it was it was never in the week, it was never in the weekdays. And I don't know, I was not in a gang that would drink every day. Some of the people would smoke as a hush or marijuana. But the drinking was more uh, in the weekends, but sometimes very heavily. And uh, I think uh, more and more after I was finished with uh, law school, it, uh, I got married. 
and I, uh, I, I, got, I very quickly got pregnant. So I had to stop the drinking. Mm -hmm. So I never, I didn't drink when I had these pregnancy, three pregnancy, but they were very far apart as I got my first child. Um, just straight after I met my ex-husband and um, I didn't drink as long as I was pregnant and breastfeeding but then I started again uh, my husband was not a really big drinker he would drink wine but it was really rare and there was only just one glass or two glasses you know a night I would take a glass with him and I can remember that when I was if I was not going to work that would be when um, I was still home with uh, with my first child or the next child, but not breastfeeding. I would drink, you know, a, a glass of wine with him, but then I would drink more after he had, you know, finished his drinking. So I would drink always a little bit more than him. And um, in the weekends, uh, I would drink really, yeah, a lot of wine so it i think it developed very slowly and uh, we were married or living together for 18 years partly married 10, 10 years of marriage and then eight years where we were just uh, yeah married before we were living together eight years so in in this time we had um three kids and uh, as i said i didn't drink when I was pregnant or breastfeeding, but afterwards. But I think my drinking really um, developed after I got divorced, after the 18 years. We had a, we didn't have a good divorce. It was terrible. It was really terrible. And I was so stressed because I, I nearly lost my, uh, I, um, I bought a house and it was really difficult to keep the house because we were fighting on this alimony, what do you mm -hmm. call it? Element, for alimony, the, for the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For the children. And um, I couldn't aff afford to pay anything. And he was really a, a very, very rich man. So he could pay, but his lawyers made a, a loan out, out of his yeah, big uh, you know all these millions he had so it looked like he didn't have any money so I was the one that had to pay him so I almost lost my house and it was just so much stress so I can remember that time that I I were talking to all these um, uh, people that I or these companies that I owe money to you know the electricity bills and everything every I will I would spend a week talking to them to the divide the, the bills so that I could manage and then when the weekend come I was so exhausted to both working mm -hmm. as a as a lawyer and then also to, uh, three kids and all these bills and lo almost losing the house all the time, or at least I thought so, that I wouldn't manage. So when the weekend come, I was just thinking, I need a break. I just need a break. I just need to think about something else. I need to have fun. I want to dance. I want to drink. I want to get just wasted so that I can forget about all this and then pick up the thing Monday morning and try to 
phone all these uh, creditors again to get these bills fixed and everything. So that was my life for a very long time. And I think I just drank more and more, but it didn't affect my work. I couldn't drink during the week, but sometimes mm. as a lawyer, I had these big cases that I, you know, they could go from Monday to Thursday. And then when I was finished with the case and I, I, I was my own boss, so I could just, you know, take the next day off. And then uh, because of the, this way of working was so stressful because you get, when you are in the courtroom, you get really high on the dopamine and the adrenaline and so on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to, to get myself down again, I just went out. I was just talking to the other colleagues. Do you have, are you, do you have one day off? Can we go to a bar? So we went to <laughs> bars and we were drinking. So that was a, a very, you know, on what is it? It was not a, Later, when I quit my lawyer job, I went to the state again. It was more even working, like, uh, you know. More balance. Hmm? More balance. Yeah, more balance, like from eight to four or nine to five. Mm. But as a lawyer, it was just like a, a curve yeah. up and down. It's like the sobriety scheme yeah. that Chef 56 <laughs> shows us. Yeah. This was my... This was my working day. It was terrible. All over the place, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all over the place and getting really stressed and drinking because of, uh, to get balanced my feelings and everything. So, yeah, that was uh, a lot. And um, uh, I got two sick children. Uh, first one sick ch child, she got diabetes when she was uh, 12. I was still married then. And then I got divorced just uh, a few years after that. And then my son got, my middle one got also diabetes one. And then I was alone with these two and the youngest one that was four, four years old when we divorced. Mm. So when my, my middle son got this uh, disease, I was thinking, oh no, my God, I can't be a lawyer anymore because I have to go uh, from my practice and get him from school if he was high or low and in, in sugar and uh, in his blood sugar and my daughter had a very sensitive kind of di diabetes so I was I was just thinking no I can't do this anymore I can't be my own um, or have this lawyer, lawyer practice I, I couldn't cope so I had to leave leave that and uh, got myself a job in the states because that's more secure in Norway you can get mm. uh, can get there's something called vacation and you get there's money benefits. for vacation yeah 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 <laughs> I never had a vacation when I was a lawyer no. but when but in the <laughs> states there, there is and there's also yeah. sick leave if, if your children are sick so there was a uh, security that that uh, did that that I I got into this uh uh, and then I could not drink as I had done because as a lawyer as I told you, it was like the, you mm. know, the chef shows us all the time with sobriety <laughs> thing. <laughs> and then I had to really straighten myself up. And it was so hard because I was used to do exact, exactly what I wanted to do. If I didn't, couldn't go to work, if I was tired or, yeah, I would, I would, uh, you know, I would take a day, a day off and drink. Not during the day, but I mean, during the night. And then um, 
this, I remember this period uh, as a very hard period to adjust to this, uh, what we call the A4 life. I don't know if you call it that, but this is sheet of paper that's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, standard A4, A4 paper, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what we call it, A4 life. Very boring life. The same every day, you know, the same time to work <laughs> and the same thing you do at work and, and, and so on and so on. So that was difficult. So I can remember that I did drink during the week sometimes because I couldn't stand it. This A4, yeah. that was a, like a tiny box that you were in. And I was not that person. Or It took no. me a long time to adjust. And then I did just so i didn't drink it during the week anymore but i drank so much in the weekends that i couldn't i had all these blackouts and it started to get really terrible and um, i couldn't hide it for you know my kids were now maybe 16 and 10 and uh, 16 plus 6 also 22 and they would notice that mama was not, you know, I wasn't sober when I got home from these things that I had, you know, my friends and so on. So I, I would be thinking many times that there's something, something wrong. I have all these blackouts. I had to stop. This is terrible. Um, but still, I, I didn't think of completely stopping I just thought I had to get this under control I just have to moderate mm -hmm. but and I was I was reading different kind of books about moderation so I had totally forgotten about this moderation period but I did try and more or less more or less succeed but very often not succeed because I had this off switch it was it was not totally broken, but it was so broken that I couldn't really control it uh, uh, every time. And more often uh, than not, I would get so these blackouts, you know. So I'm not maybe for the whole evening, but I would always wake up and I would think, oh, have, I have to phone my one of my friends and ask, did I say something? Did I do something? So, this was more and more the rule, and it was it was just you know, a walk of shame. So I think that um, what what uh, what did it for me that I finally, when the kids had moved, I didn't stop. I I just continue this way, and I thought I didn't have a big enough problem. I thought it was I thought it was okay since. Many of my friends also drank with me in the weekends. Right, right. So I thought that we were okay, but it wasn't really. So it took a long time before I realized that this is not going to work anymore. So I got, I, I talked to my daughter, my doctor, and she referred me to a, a day uh, treatment thing. So like an outpatient where you went for yeah. treatment, but you were living at home. Yeah. Yeah. So the, and this was uh, this was not a private thing. I think I think it was part of the health uh, thing in Norway. I can't really right. remember. So many years ago, <clears throat> and I got a couple of hours there. But then uh, I think uh, the second hour I was there, the second session, I came to this uh, man, which I thought was not getting it at all, getting my problem. He just said, "I think 
this has to be our last session because I need to help the people who really need help. <laughs> and I was so uh, disappointed because I was thinking mm. that I need to stop now because otherwise it would be too difficult for me to stop. And I thought that he should be able to see that. So what I did was to continue the same the same way. I tried to uh, do what he and me was uh, agreeing about, but it, it was, you know, how it goes. It's not, moderation is not, um, if I could moderate, I, you know, I wouldn't be, had, have all these blackouts. So it was only one thing really, and I should have understood it many years ago. So it took, it took me some time. Yes, I can sure. Also, I mean, from 15 years to, I'm only six months sober. So uh, that's a lot of years. Yeah, Scary. and if we could moderate, we wouldn't be here, would we? We would just be no, normal we wouldn't. people. No, <laughs> no. So, so I, when, I, when I finally got it that I had to stop, I think it was a few incidents. I, one that I, uh, a, a woman I knew many, many years ago, but we separated, we, we parted way, our ways. We were very, very close, but she was, drinking more heavily than I was th at that time. So we had to part because of the alcohol. That was really a sad thing. And then I hadn't had contact with her the last 15 years and she died in September. And I think it was an alcohol related thing. Mm -hmm. It was very mm -hmm. acute and she, yeah, I'm sure it was because I was talking to someone who knew and then I also had a vacation with a good friend of mine and um, I saw her drinking every day what it was. And uh, I thought to myself, this is, this is uh, the way I'm going to drink very soon if I continue. And it scared me so much, these two incidents. So that was my, bot what do you call it, rock bottom? Rock, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everybody has their own rock bottom it doesn't mean yeah. that you have to lose everything that's right that's exactly was, right yeah this was scary enough for me that i yeah th this was my rock bottom i'm sure of it so i started to read and i read alan carr's book and after yeah. i read it i i read it because i was thinking that i have to get control over my own drinking again mm -hmm. i thought it, this thought yeah. Silly yep, thought. Yep. But when I have finished, when I had finished my this book, I was just thinking, no, I have to stop. All this rubbish that we have heard about alcohol all my life, this is totally fake. This is just, you know, fake news. <laughs> so I was just thinking, finally, I understand this. Why haven't I understood this before? I was, I was quite uh, pissed off, really, mm -hmm. uh, at mm -hmm. myself, of course. But um, that's the truth. I didn't, I hadn't understood it before. So that was the right timing for me, I think, because these two incidents and this book. And then afterwards, it didn't take me long to find Annie Grace's book and Craig Beck. I think Craig Beck before Annie Grace. But I got to these two uh, people because Alan... Alan Carr is dead. I tried to get in contact mm. 
his firm to see if they could offer something more. And uh, uh, despite the COVID, I was just thinking maybe they had something online or something. But then I found Craig Back and Annie Grace. And, you know, I took this, his Craig Back's course. And uh, that was also totally the same that Alan Carr. It was just a copy, I think, but it was good. <laughs> it's more modern, more up to date. And then in the grace, the same like Alan Carr's uh, method, but more up to date and more, you know, much more. The, the alcohol experiment, it was just, it was so good. It just convinced me and cemented the thing that I had read in Alan Carr's book. So it, I really got a mind, my mindset shifted. And I was so happy about that because I know that if it hadn't shifted, I would have, you know, started to drink again very quickly after that, I think. Mm -hmm. Because it was so difficult with all these social events that I had been booked into, that I had to go to family events that I couldn't say no to and other things. Uh, that was the summer of, when was that? That was the summer... It, the COVID was not so bad then. So we had a lot of social events in Norway. We, we didn't, we were, we were not totally locked down. It was starting to open up. It, that was 2020. Right. So I was, um, that autumn, I was in several uh, social things and I wasn't prepared. So when I came with my non-alcoholic bottle <laughs> and I offered my, me wine, I just didn't manage to say no, even though I didn't wanted it in the in the beginning. And then I realized when we came to Christmas or November, my father died in November. So I had a, a difficult time uh, around his death. We, we had a really difficult relationship. So I I struggled a lot. I did. I said to myself, don't drink because there'd be. 10 times worse, yeah. but I did drink a little bit around his sitting on his bedside and my sister would come and offer me, me a glass of wine and I wasn't able to say no. But luckily it was not so much. It was maybe half a bottle of wine one night and then because I thought I had to be sober taking care of my, my father's uh, wife. And... Um, but I did drink, I think, maybe six or seven times during that time. It, it was, it was, you, you could say that I, I managed to moderate. That, that's one way of looking at it. But I, re I realized in the end of that period, which was a six-month period, that I was on my way back to my old patterns. Mm -hmm. So, and, and luckily my mindset was still there. Then I read, I think I read Alan Carr's book once more. And I took the, the alcoholic experiment, uh, the one that you pay for. Yeah. Because there's one free and there's one you pay for and it's almost the same, but a little bit more with the, with the community and so on. And then I was back on track again. So I just had to convince myself or be more secure about how to explain this to people, how to come out. Because all this was about shame. 
I was so shameful mm -hmm. to go to my nearest friends and to my sister and to my cousin who I always drank with and she had this uh, communion. Uh, I'm a Catholic and, and uh, we have this communion when you are 13 that all Catholics know about. So I had to go to Oslo and, and join this uh, very nice uh, ceremony with my cousin's son. Uh, that was the one that went to this communion thing. And I couldn't even then uh, say no thank you to mm. the so that was in the end of my six months of uh, relapse. That was six, seven relapses. And um, when I finally, finally, finally um, got convinced that I, or, or got myself together and uh, uh, read these books again and took this uh, course one more time, then it was much easier. Then I didn't have any more, you know, the relapses just, you know, there was no more relapses. Or, you know, uh, as so far today, I don't know what will happen in the future. I'm, I'm yeah. afraid that I yeah. will change my mind. I'm just really afraid that I will think, oh my God, I could probably have one now, but I, I won't, I think, because I know because of this experience, that this is not going to work. I have so deep, uh, I look at this uh, at motorways in my brain, really broad things yeah. that if I, I, I could go many years and maybe pick up a drink and it would be the same. I could never drink again uh, because it's broken. The, the, the off switch will not be repaired. Mm -hmm. Not for a long time, anyway. Yeah, no, it will. I think it will never be repaired. I've heard people mm. go ten years, fifteen years, and then suddenly yeah. think that they could drink again. Oh yeah, no, that yeah. Sorry, I'm talking about yeah. the neuropathways. Yeah, they'll plug back in, but the off switch, you're right, will never change. I'm, yeah, and I think the neural, I think the pathways will also be there. It's just that I'm working on other on other yeah. pathways. I'm building other pathways. Correct. But the old one, the old. Motorways, they will be oh, there yeah. forever. No, the new ones, yeah, the new ones need to be built. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I think that uh, when people say that, oh, I'm just thinking now, I've been so many months sober, I could have just have one. I think that's that's not. Um, then you have then then if I got this thought, if I if I if I will get this thought, I hope I will remember that it's not true. You can't, I can't do that because I will have this, I will have this pathway. I it will not be, it's not that if you shift the old pathways will new, it, they are side by side. Mm -hmm. That's why you can't do it. Because you, your brain will remember, will always remember. I can wait till I'm 90 years old. It will still remember. Right, right. So I will not uh, do that consciously. Um, maybe on my deathbed. But why should I? Why should I drink poison? I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know a single thing that alcohol will do for me that is positive. I can't name anything. You can ask me, me 
you could mm. you could ask me, but I would uh, I would uh, try to convince you that that's just rubbish. <laughs> not all even the, not even the social things. I I was at a, a social thing, a sober thing, and yeah. I was having a deep conversation with several people there, and. On my way to my car, I would just, uh, a thought would pop in my, in my head and I was thinking, I can't drive, I'm tipsy. There's something, <laughs> I have been drinking. That was a strange thought, but that was the good feeling I had when, you know, when when you drink one glass of red wine, you get you get this uh, tipsy feeling. The dopamine, and then, the dopamine. Yeah, and then after the first gla glass, according to all the books that we have read, it's just downhill from that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize because we, we get so numbed out that we think we are still happy and we're still having fun, but we are not. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking when I was going to that car and I was so tipsy, I was thinking, oh, this is what it is. Because I recognize that feeling. This is the feeling when you are having really, really good connection with other people. Yeah. So that's why I thought I was tipsy. <laughs> you were doing it naturally. Yeah, and I got so happy. I was so happy. I I don't know if I posted that, but I I know I talked with you about it in a in a in a Zoom because yeah. I was so overwhelmed with joy. I was just thinking, oh my god, that's not true that you can't get get this feeling uh, that you have with the drinking when you are out socializing. You can definitely have it and you would recognize it uh, and think you are drunk as i thought <laughs> i've had people say it to me are you have you been drinking yeah and i'd say no and they say well you just seem like so tipsy and happy and i'm like no yeah. it's natural, natural now the dopamine's you know it's coming it's yeah, yeah. It's like, i've never i haven't laughed so much in the last six months as i ever yeah. did before yeah and there's a there's a thing that I I'm not sure if it's true, but I really hope it is. I saw myself. I got a glimpse of myself in a mirror some sometime when I had been sober for many months, and I was laughing and I was thinking, oh my god, I have a different laugh. I have a different smile. <laughs> it was like I am not hiding anymore. I am not yeah. hiding mm. this shame because before it was like a half. It was something. It was uh, crooked. What do you say when it's not even? It was on a slant, on a tilt. Yeah. And I was thinking, God, that is so strange. This is a new, uh, that I'm not holding anything back. But before I was holding, of course I was holding back. There was something. There was this shame. It's so, so true. Yeah. Being honest, the honesty and just being able to live with all that, without all that stress anxiety, worry, planning, yeah. everything that you did around alcohol, it's, mm. it relieves you and you can just be go through life in a, in a much calmer, much yeah. calmer place now. You know? But I would tell but, you, if, 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 uh, if, I've, if I had met someone a year ago or some, more than that, more than a year ago, who told me that um, before I read Alan Carr, before all this happened, mm -hmm. Who told me that um, you're soon going to uh, start a journey that would be so wonderful, that would be so revealing that you will discover something about yourself that you never have discovered in your grown-up life. 
I would just say, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I just have to stop drinking. What are you talking? I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't understand it. Mm. I wouldn't, I, I would think that I, they came from some sect or some, you know, some <laughs> cult, some, some AA meeting. Oh, sorry. Sorry, folks. I'm just, I just have the bad, uh, I have a bad opinion about AA, but I have been there and I really want to go to AA to get to know sober people because I don't have any, I have you and uh, others in the Zooms on the other side of the pond, but it's so far away. I need, I need to get to know someone, yeah. but I, I would never uh, believe this journey. Uh, I would never understood it before I started on it. So I, I don't know how we can talk to other one, other people about this. I don't think they will ever get it. No, and that's what you and I, you know, we knew each other in when we read the Annie Grace book. That's how I met you. Yeah. And she said it to me in English. She explained in English what was happening to me. And I was in shock just going through the book because no one, and we've talked about this, no one had ever told us. We yeah. just believed all the marketing. It was perfectly normal. It was everywhere you turned around. It was everywhere you went, every single party function. And then mm. I pick up this book and I read and I say, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. This is what I've been doing. Oh, my God, how am I still alive? Yeah. You know, it mm. scared me. It scared me. Yeah, and I thought that I would, you know, it's just a, it's just a, um train what is it it's a train to hell and i was on my way yeah was, me too and i and i was just seeing this very steep you know <laughs> train without any control because my off switch is not yep. working <laughs> yep. and i can't and i can't tell the off switch today you have to work no, no. it's not like that you can't i couldn't decide I couldn't decide when it should work. And no, I, luckily it worked uh, when I had to go to work. I don't know why. I don't know. I really don't know why. But if I had a lot of alcohol in the house and I thought that I could go to a meeting, uh, sometimes I would go to a meeting in another town or, and it was not me that was the speaker, then I would drink. So I did mm -hmm. that sometimes when it was not normal work, when it, it was yep. a seminar or something, yep. you know. Yeah, that that's, <laughs> I think a lot of people did that. So I did sometimes drink in the, in the but this, uh, I, I never could tell when I had too much. I, I don't get it now and no, not my, um, my friends didn't get it either. I remember they told me some very many years ago, one friend, she said to me, your daughter uh, came to me and asked me if I could speak to you and say, could you please not drink so much when we are in these family gatherings? Because we, would, we, would, uh, we were a, a gang of people who would always have these speeches and if there was a big day, everybody had to speak uh, mm -hmm. and have all the speech. So, and one time, it, uh, it there was 
<laughs> it took so long time before it was my turn and I had been <laughs> drinking so many glasses before my turn came. So when I was rising, I knew I was not, you know, <laughs> I was slurring my words. That, that was not good. So um, I remember that time. And that was the time that my daughter, my eldest one, she got so embarrassed. So that was, that was hard. Uh, it was, um, so that was the, the, the one time that my friend came to me and asked me, and I was thinking, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Because I didn't, I didn't have this conscious at that time. I didn't understand that there, mm. there was something I couldn't uh, control. No right. one, or I did, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't understood that, that this was an addictive drug that did right. this to me. I thought it was something with, about my character. Same. I, for many, many, many years, I thought that. Of course, yeah. that's what we, that was what we learned. You know, there was something wrong with us. Yeah. The, others could, yeah. the others could drink and they could manage it. No one told us that this was a very, very addictive drug, almost the most addictive that we have, maybe uh, it's only a few of these really dangerous drugs that are more addicted than uh, alcohol, isn't it? I think maybe Absolutely. cocaine, cocaine yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. There's only a couple. There's only. Yeah. But I like you. I truly believed, and I used to say to people, when I just when I decide to stop, I'll just stop. I truly believed that I could just stop. I didn't realize the actual substance itself was the addictive thing. Not I yeah. thought it was me. And it was yeah. up to me to decide. It wasn't up to me to decide in the end. No. And that's what no. I learned. Like, yeah. Did you? Yeah. Mm. And I also believe that uh, anyone could be, you know, an alcoholic if you drink heavily enough exactly and long what enough. what I say. Yep. So, I, so I, I know this is controversial and I know that many people don't believe this, but well, well, I, I think, well, maybe some of us are more, um now we get to this word that i i try to practice for days but i can't say it vulnerable vulnerable <laughs> it's okay it's all right I'm, I'm here to help yeah so some of us are maybe more sensitive i can use the word sensitive that i can say yes very yes. good pronunciation um so i think i was uh like many i think when i read i uh, read the post at the app i see that we there's a lot of people who are very um, sensitive or had, uh, you know, they have had um, experiences in their lives that probably have uh, made them more sensitive to this drug, I think. Mm -hmm. That's what Absolutely. I think. So Absolutely. I agree. I think that uh, thank God for Gabo Mate and the likes and the, mm -hmm. the people like him, he has really put a light on this trauma uh, yep. thing. And the I childhood think, trauma and yeah, everything. You don't, yep. you don't yep. yeah, you don't have to have a big, you know, nope. traumatic accident to call it the trauma. It's it's not the it's not the thing that happened. It's how you process it, or or. Um, if you were little enough, then maybe you couldn't process it. So that's when it's stuck in your body as a, as a implicit memory so that you have to work on it. So this is what I'm 
very concerned about now that I have to work on, I should work on why did I drink in the first place? Right. Not maybe from day one, because I think it was like a, a innocent uh, experimental thing. And also with my friends, everybody was drinking a little bit. But after some time, I would be the one that drank very, very much compared to mm -hmm. my friends. Mm -hmm. So I have, yeah, the, the, especially after I quit, I have been thinking a lot of why did I, why did I drink? And uh, Gabo Mate often says that it's not the alcohol that is the problem, it's the pain. So you have to ask why the pain? And then... Um, so I think I had a, um, I had a pain. It was not really in. It was not in the forefront. So right. I didn't real. I didn't really re realize it. It was almost under my radar. But I know that I had a, a sadness. Um, in in school, they called. They always call me. I was so serious as a little girl, hmm. as a. As a teenager, I was so serious and so mature. They were wrong. I was really sad. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. I, I was sad because I had a, uh, I didn't have this really good contact with, uh, with my father. I don't blame him. Uh, he's dead now and I, I, I don't really blame him. But he was, he was um, raised of a father with where this was also a problem so he didn't know better he raised me and my siblings like he was being raised and that was very, with a very distant father who, who was only occupied with his work he was never present if he was home he wasn't there at all he was mm. just occupied with his work that was his that was my grandfather he was a doctor and my father was the same and he didn't know anywhere, anywhere. I don't want to blame him. No, he didn't know any better. Yeah. No, he didn't know any better, but he was also very, very strict. And that I would maybe blame a little bit because I think that if you are very, very critical or very, very hurtful as an adult, maybe you should do something about it. So I think he was responsible for how, how he treated us um, that way. So I, I really had a very difficult relationship with him. And, um, and um, I think it made me really sad because he wasn't really interested in his children. He was, uh, mm -hmm. we annoyed him. So we had, uh, you know, everything you could want materialistic. Everything was okay in our home. We always had food on the table, uh, much food, much of everything, but that doesn't matter if your parents are not uh, uh, emotionally able to give you what you need as an infant, and and yeah. So and also, uh, my mother and father had this really difficult uh, relationship. So they got got the divorce when I was twelve, and uh, my father always called this a very happy divorce. But I know. Fact now, because I've I've um, finally realized uh, it's not long ago, one year ago, I realized that really this divorce was really difficult for yeah. us children and really sad. And uh, 
that was the final, what is it? Final uh, nail in the coffin. Nail in the coffin that showed us that he wasn't interested in us uh, children. So it, it did something with uh, with me and I think also my siblings. So so I think that if you have if we haven't had a, a father or a mother, of course, that is interested in you and and uh, and always very distant, uh, there is something that happens. And I think that was that's my theory today that. That was why I uh, was uh, sensitive to this drug. I think so. Yeah, and Gabor Mate says that. He says hmm? it doesn't matter. Gabor, Gabor Mate says that about your environment and the nurturing. You know, you yeah. can have all the materialistic things in the world, live in the biggest house. Mm. But if your parents, if you don't feel that nurturing and that love and they care and you belong... Mm. Mm. And if they're distant, because I know, because I've sort of experienced some of that too, it almost takes away my worth it. You don't feel like you're worthy. Like, what is wrong with me that you don't pay me the attention? I'm your child. Yeah. It should be yeah. this unconditional love. And sometimes mm. one parent will try and overcompensate for the other. So say the father's out working, the mother might try and overcompensate. Mm -hmm. But really you want the love from, you want the equal love from the mother and the father. Yeah, yeah. And what I did, uh, I know for a fact that this has been a problem for me because what I did was to copy my relationship with my father with every man that I met. So my right. first, my husband, yes. I, I, after being uh, with him for a year, I just realized, oh my God, this is this is exactly the same relationship that I have with my father, but it was ten times worse. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he had. Yeah. Uh, so he he really had um, some traits that, you know, and me too. Uh, of course, I was part of it, but I didn't understand fully how to solve this problem. So I tried to get help with it. I tried to go to therapy. And I thought my theory was that I had low self-esteem. That was the problem. I could be high on, you know, confidence because I was a lawyer and I could do my work very well. I was good at what I did. And I got um, lots of, and lots of uh, credit for what I did. Mm -hmm. as a mm -hmm. But when it came to be Lisa, and and take away all the things that I did, but just yeah, to all be, your achievements, yeah, yeah. Then underneath all that was a very insecure, unhappy little girl, and really uh, with a low self-esteem, I think. And I've never been, in spite of the knowing all this, I can't fix it. I've tried, and I've tried to get uh, in contact with therapists to. Because I, I needed to avoid to do it again after I got divorced. I was just thinking mm. about my children. I, I have to find someone who can help me to um, so that I can do something about myself, so that I do, don't do this again. I have to break this pattern. And I, also, I, I was also thinking I have to show my children that it's possible so that I don't deliver the same you know, the same pattern to them. 
because that's what we do. So we do, deliver. So, we deliver yeah. these, uh, you know, these trauma things. We deliver it, you know, <laughs> onwards to the next generation. So that's what was very, very uh, important for me. But I never um, was thinking about uh, when I went to these uh, therapists all the time. I was never thinking about the drinking. So I think now that all these therapy I've you know, spent so much money on it. I was doing when I was drinking heavily every weekend, messing with my brain. How could I get this fixed when I was stuffing all my feelings down the throat with the red wine? But that's my theory uh, because I never got this fixed because I, after I divorced my husband, I met a new guy. I didn't recognize it at the first time, but then after some time, I, I suddenly realized, oh my God, I've done it again. And then it was, it lasted six years because I'm so slow. I didn't realize it, it took a long time. And then I found a new man <laughs> just recently. <laughs> and that took a, one and a half year before I realized I'd done the same, but he was so <laughs> clever. He just, he was just hiding all these, his traits. And these traits are, you know, it's like narcissistic traits. And I'm mm -hmm. the codependent, I, I guess. So I didn't realize it took one and a half year before I, I realized that this man that everybody thought was so nice, when, when he suddenly took off his mask, he was a totally different person. Mm. He would get, he was get these rages or what you call it in English rage he would that's yeah. it that's it he scared the hell of me uh, for small thing in 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 uh not important things really yeah. small yeah. things and i was yeah. thinking oh my god this is just a new sort of the same thing this is the mm -hmm. same pattern why same is this pattern. happening why is this happening yeah. Yeah. There must be something really wrong. I haven't fixed myself. I've been working on this for years. This is not fixed. I get drawn to these, um, uh, into these romantic uh, relationships. So now I'm thinking, oh my God, I just have to stay away. <laughs> no, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have no, to I get have some to. help my, to fix new, it. Yeah. My, my new theory is, it was the alcohol that prevented me to get well, to get healed. So now I'm trying again. Yeah, and the alcohol, you're right, for all of us, because when I was talking to this gentleman that I interviewed the other day, Jay, he said that your life becomes an accumulation of trauma. Mm. Or sort of trauma, I'm sorry, depending how you say it, trauma, trauma. But it's true. It accumulates over time. It doesn't go away. We just push it down, push it down, push it down with the alcohol mm. to forget, to numb the pain. And yeah. I think just like alcohol does, has the same effect on all of us because the process, like you said, it's the same for everybody, just the time frame is different. The substance will get you, you know, eventually if you drink enough, that's going to happen. And then we decide that we're going to quit and we think that, oh, that's good. I've quit. Everything's great. And that's not the case at all. It's great that you stop and put the bottle down. But then all these feelings, these emotions, the trauma, and it could be emotional trauma, physical trauma. It could be just 
anything, experience trauma, it could be a bad character, it could be anything, a bad accident, but it's there. And how do we heal that? Okay, I think Lisa, Fiona and I are getting kind of thirsty, so it's time for a cup of tea. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back shortly. Okay, listeners, we are back. We've had a little cup of tea and we are ready to carry on with Lisa Fiona's story. Let's take it from here. So, Lisa, we were talking about just the trauma and the pain and the reason you were linking it now back to certain things in childhood that we may not have realised at the time, i.e. when you were talking about your father. And we're mm. trying to find ways now to deal with these these things that have come up at our six and eight month, you know, stages in sobriety. So how do you think we're going to deal with this? What are we going to do? <laughs> like, yeah, that's an, it's, it's really um, something that I've been thinking of more and more. I did really think about this question one year ago when I, mm. before I stopped the drinking, I was thinking, why am I drinking? Mm. And I was talking to this friend that I was on holiday with. I was saying to her that I thought she was, uh, she had to, if we were going to do something about this, I was saying to her, we should maybe go to an AA meeting together. Mm -hmm. And because I thought that she really need more help than I did. Um, I didn't really fully realize that I also need the same kind of help that she did at that time. Um, and, uh, and we, we agreed that we should find something, but I was telling her that I thought that we both had something that was covered up that we had to have a, um, therapy for also that right. we were drinking because of something that happened to us because yeah. we had talked talked a lot about that what happened to us in our childhood and her childhood was much worse than than mine as i mean oh my god and she was drinking also more than me daily and now she's in a really bad state so i'm so worried about her but i know that i was starting to think uh, about this for myself and the reason why was that um, it was more and more clear to me uh, this relationship with my father that ha has caused me a lot of pain and anxiety and everything and also I was newly diagnosed with ADHD at an age of 61 uh, oh. That came about because my, my oldest daughter got diagnosed and then everyone was looking to me. They were looking at me. <laughs> what about her? <laughs> because it's, you know, you, it's, um, uh, what do you say in English? Inherit? No. In, you, in, you inherit it. Like yeah, you line. inherit it. Yeah. yeah. You get it from your parents. So either yeah. uh, it was me or it could be me and my ex-husband. Correct. Of course, but he was not there because um, we couldn't drag him into this and we didn't ask him. So I don't think that would be a good idea anyway. But, uh, um, but I was, I, I, I thought, okay, I have to get diagnosed. And after I got diagnosed and tried some of these different kinds of medicine, it was difficult to find the right medicine. 
that also happened when I stopped drinking. So all these factors, uh, I mean, I couldn't, maybe I shouldn't be so quick and say, thank you. I, I wanted to, to go to uh, Great Britain and kiss Alan Carr, but he was dead. <laughs> and then I thought, maybe it was my, maybe it was my medicine for the ADHD that I had been drinking because pain with not being diagnosed, you know, you, you do all kinds of uh, coping mechanism because you have this uh, disorder um, and um, it could be, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. So, so I was thinking about all these things and, and I thought, okay, maybe Gabo Mate is right again. Mm. He writes about ADHD and he says, if you have a dysfunctional family and you, you, you have a, you have a parent or two parents that can't really give you the uh, entombment that you need when you're a baby. Maybe your mother was depressed. Maybe your father wasn't there at all. That was my family. My father was not there, wasn't present. My mother was really upset because of this situation. And she was also very depressed. Mm. I know this for a fact. She was really, she wasn't diagnosed, but I'm sure she had she had her issues, I'm really sure. And I think I inherited my ADHD from her. It's quite clear that she had that. Um, but you know, women didn't have ADHD in, in that That's time. Right. And, and in my time, they didn't have it either. It was just boys and they were climbing all over the, you know, the chairs and everything. <laughs> so they were quite easy to detect. But I was just sitting quite calmly doing my mm. grades and really doing great grades. So I was in my 10th grade and having this, um, the best uh, grade for behavior and for what is it, uh, orderly things. So no yep. one suspected me. <laughs> so I didn't, you know, I was under the radar all these years, struggling perhaps with memory things, always being late to my father's uh, dinner, party and then we always say oh Lisa you're always late making fun of me always to be late and always forgetting things always forgetting things and that he also pointed out all the time oh you forget yeah it must be really hard to be you you forget I always yeah it was really that was very stressful uh all this criticism and right, uh, it is mm -hmm. yeah and it was all the time you know so I was, yeah, Gabo Mate, he, he thought, he thinks that it's not uh, a disease that you, or a thing that you get before you are born. Uh, it could be that you are not developed the way you should have, like a plant who doesn't get enough water and right. enough good soil and enough, not enough light. You will see a very strange plant, wouldn't you? So that's about us too, because when we are born, we have this uh, undeveloped neural system. It's really, really primitive when we are born. So mm -hmm. we are dependent of our caretakers that they have a stabilized nervous system. And if they don't have a stabilized nervous system, like my mother and my father didn't have, then we also get unstabilized. And the unstabilization or the, what is unstabling, yeah, well, it's the, the cortex, the, the front, 
um, prefrontal, prefrontal cortex. cortex. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And yep. there's there's the dopamine. Uh, right. The, all the development of the dopamine, and the other very important um, receptors. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, ADHD is a lack of dopamine. Right. So it's the same. I think Abel is right, and uh, that um, this is something that you get in your childhood if you if you are raised in a home where you where you don't get this attunement you know today i think you will have a lot of children that doesn't get it because of the distractions with the iphone and every the mother is looking at the iphone all the time and not at the baby (laughs) and if it if you don't look at the baby and get the attunement with the baby what then you can just look at youtube the very disturbing um uh what what do you call it they had this very disturbing, um, not exercise, but uh, not examples. What what do you say? When you have uh, scientific um, evidence? No, when you when you try to prove something, you have this. Um, oh my God, I can't remember anything now. But they put these babies in front of their mothers, and they told the mother first to have a, a very near contact, like the cooing and then oh right yes 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 and then they told the mother to look away and pretend that the baby is not there at all and then you will see a really distressed baby yeah just look look at those uh, youtube films they are quite old because they didn't know better at that time they were you know disturbing these babies so much that it would be a trauma for them so nowadays it wouldn't be allowed but that was just terrible to see I think experiment was the word we were looking experiment. for. Experiment. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. We're doing fine. But it is true. And Gabor Mate talks about that, that some babies that were left isolated on their own, they stress yeah. themselves to death. And that's a terrible thought. Yeah. You know, the fact yeah, that. We were just, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what's happened to the. To I mean, the, just, child, oh, the child number three. Awful. The first child always gets right. picked up. Yes, yes, Second, yes. maybe not so much pick, picking up. The third one just cries and is in the crib. Yeah. And we were, thought, we were thinking, I oh, that's, they un- did that. that's, that's understandable. But that what's hap- what it is happening that the, the little child cannot regulate. They cannot regulate. So they're not doing this on purpose, as we were told when we were, you know, yeah. I know my mother would say, don't worry, because I had a little sister 10 years younger than me. Yeah. And when she would cry, mum would say, oh, don't worry, she's been fed, she's dry, her nap yeah. is good. She'd just cry herself to sleep. Yeah, do you and know what like, they said in Norway? Do you know what they what? said in Norway? Please. Um, just let the baby cry. It, it's good for their lungs. Yes, same. I've heard <laughs> that too. And what we didn't realize then was that the baby couldn't regulate. So when he stopped or she stopped, it was just pure exhaustion and giving up, you know, going into freeze or fawn. And that would be the, you know, that would be really bad for the baby growing up. Well, that's stressful exhaustion, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't know that. Again, all these things that we're learning now. You know, as the years go on and we grow mm. up and medicine develops and they do more yeah. experiments and everything. That's, um, that's why we are so crazy, a lot of us. We are totally <laughs> crazy, everybody. Yeah. 
but we're still here and we're still normal contributors of society. So <laughs> we, we, yeah. we got lucky. Something plugged in somewhere along the yeah. way, you know. Um, yeah. But it's true even, you know, when I when we were young, I was very sensitive, very shy, but very anxious. My mother was the same. Now mm. I've, I've done the discovery, my grandmother. So, again, you're right, we're all wired, you know, yeah. like how before – but my mother, you know, wasn't close to her mum. And so she would say, because I had the war and everything, and her mum was dealing. When your mother or your grandmother is dealing with their own mental health, and as you said, they yeah. were just given shock treatment. My grandmother was given shock treatment. It oh was the God. war. She had yeah. four kids. She was, and I'm finding now, because I've just discovered this whole family of my mother's in Wales, and mm. I've just got, and been in touch with first cousins. My grandmother was in and out of hospitals quite a lot with me- mm. mental illness and my mother witnessed that and I can remember my mother saying to me oh my god I just don't want to end up like mum I just and you know what she ended up on pills more pills than you can imagine um and she used to say to me oh I, you know when I was in America and she was in Australia I take a pill to wake up I take a pill to get through the day and I take a pill to go to sleep and I thought this is not no. good no and she but would it- laugh about it you know? Yeah, but I can I can tell you that uh, if I look back on my ancestors and family, and on my mm-hmm. my ex husband's family and ancestor, we can see the trauma line. Yes, it's you like can. it's yeah. like two rivers that meet, mm-hmm. and both of them have this uh, trauma that they have they delivered like a baton or like a. You know, really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and take this, take this. I will deliver it to you in the next generation. And it's, before you know it, you are, you are, you know, the same. You are affected of the same trauma, and it's, it could be too late. My promise, I said to my children, I have to stop this uh, delivering. Even I know, I knew it was too late uh, for my yeah. children, but I was just saying that we, we have to stop this. We have to yeah. do something about it because yeah. otherwise we'll just deliver it, it to just, the next yeah, generation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's no genes. It's just that you learn the thing and the secrets in a family, which I discovered that was, uh, there was a secret in my mother's family. My, my grandfather was a Nazi and he was really, he did some not so really bad things, but but it was really it was really bad enough. But luckily, no one got killed. But he, you know, what what do you call it when you tell on something, somebody when it's really big? whistleblower? Yeah, he he told the Nazis who had a radio and who had this and that, and that was that was life threatening for the people who had this radio, for instance. So he got. Uh, two and a half years. Oh, I think, he, was inform- he was informative. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. He, he informed was, uh, them. Yeah. Yeah. To the Nazis. So mm-hmm. that was really bad for my for my mother and her yes. sister to grow up, with, uh, grow up with this. Uh, he, he, the father was in prison when my mother was 15. She understood, you know, but she had blocked it, the whole thing from her brain. Yeah. But it was a big trauma, and and there were other things also. I'm I'm sure at my grandmother's side, and and you know when it when there's we didn't talk about it because it was so shameful in the family that we had a Nazi in our midst, so we didn't talk about it. And secrets are like poison. 
Oh, because yes, you, I am. You, you know there is something shameful. And my mother had all this, you know, <laughs> I'm so sure that she had, this was a really big trauma for her. So she, um, I remember we were watching a series of, uh, from, uh, from the war. It was about uh, children of nurses and so on. And suddenly she remembered something and she got so disturbed totally disturbed because it popped up eventually and, triggered obvi her, yeah. and obviously obviously i didn't understand what was happening and it, it no. was terrible i didn't recognize her and she yeah. was out of her mind she was really crying she was so upset but she was just a young girl when all mm. this happened mm -hmm. so and my my oh my aunt she she was so she was too young to understand but it must have been a trauma thing for her too. But for my mother, it was really bad. So I think that, you know, my mother and father had their, he, my father was, I, I think I told you that, that my grandfather was a, you know, he was a tyrant. It was really, yeah, it was not good. I loved him. He was, he was a dear he, person to me, but he was a terrible father to my <laughs> Yeah, he was just what a, often he, happens with great. He was working yes. in a in the in a UN uh, organization for children. So I remember my uncle said, also my 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 father's brother. He said, mm -hmm. "Oh, when father is going there, uh, it's called save the children or something." And um, it was just a joke. They were just he was just saying they would be so as a in Norwegian it was called. That says save the children or um, yeah, save the children and, and he would just say they would be so afraid and have to save themselves when he comes along. Wow. They would be so afraid that and they, we we joked and laughed about this because we knew he there was of course a lot of good in in him, but he was really uh authoritarian um yeah, and no one could understand. What good he could do for the children in this <laughs> it was in, uh, Korea, in south korea where he was a doctor for for this uh union uh, thing body now that was that was a difficult uh bringing so there were two traumatized people yeah uh my parents so uh, they they transferred to us and me, I produced the same dysfunctional home for my kids because I found this husband that was so the same. It was a copy of my father, but he was 10 times worse. Really. And that's what I was going to say. Had, you know, looking back at what you could discovered about your parents and grandparents, and you now being a parent, do you feel that it affected your? your children in the same yeah, way sadly, carry it's so sad because i've been talking to my daughters and my son about this right and i could see that um, my daughter married a man that was a copy of uh my ex-husband so i have understood that it was too late for my oldest daughter but probably in time for my youngest daughter that i spoke about this Mm. But I think, mm -hmm. yeah, it depends. It depends uh, uh, because I think that uh, you, 
I found a very, very lovely man when I was 18. But when you are 18, you are not finished developed. So I got I got distanced from him when I started my study and I met other uh, men and and I then met my husband after yeah I I broke up with this very kind young this very kind boy that was the only man I've had a, had a romance with with I, we were engaged we were we were going to be married wow and then I grew up and yeah. I thought that this was not the right thing for me it was I was changing I was growing up my brain was uh, you know the personality was uh, finally uh, what is it finishing very late for women and and for and for guys even later 28 25 for us and then I met my ex-husband and uh, that's my explanation that's when the personality is finished then you then you do this these crazy things that uh, you copy the relationship that is not healthy so Somebody, um, where did yeah where did you meet your ex-husband I'm just curious I met my ex-husband in uh, in the same time that I found that I always have been living in Bergen so I don't know we were sort of in the same. We knew somebody who knew somebody. Same circle of friends. Yeah, yeah, right. So I met him on a on a festival, and um, yeah, we were very, very, very all too quick a couple. That's very typical. If uh, yes, yes, codependent <laughs> and and a, a person with a narcissist trades uh, meet they get very quickly deep involved and then yeah we got pregnant so fast so that was um yeah but i can't you know i love my children and i have these three three children with with him so mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um no it's interesting to find out on this journey was it the the was it um Thing from my childhood, the, the relationship with my father, I, I know this had a great impact on my, my, uh, my, uh, what is it, drawing or, or, or attraction, attraction, but not only to men, also to women after I was grown up. My, mm -hmm. my childhood friends are really not those. Also, have no such traits, but women I've been um, uh, got to know after I was a grown up. Many of them, I managed to create the same relationship with. That's so strange, but it's the truth. So some of them I've, I've just you know couldn't be around before I, and I. I the, the really, the really um, scary thing is that I don't realize it. I don't realize it before I'm, you know, deep so in it. So what do you think it is that you really need out of these relationships when you realize that the, you're repeating this behavior? What is it that comes to mind? 
I think that because I've, I've you know, one of the ther therapists I went to when I was, uh, uh, I was just uh, maybe one year in with my ex-husband and I realized what I have done, that this was a copy of my relationship with my father and that it was toxic. So I went to this therapist to try to, uh, try to figure out what, what can we do about this? Mm, uh, mm -hmm. Is it, yeah. And um, they said that uh, you do what's familiar, you know, you mm, get attracted yeah. to what's familiar. But I was more uh, concerned about uh, the self-worth and the low esteem thing. So I would ask if, if we could work on that and see if... <laughs> If, if there was something to, to do about that. But I, as I, they, they didn't have any training in this kind of work in when it, uh, because it only happened in the, in relationships, of yeah. course. It is the relationship yeah. that does, does this. So I didn't, I didn't really get the help and uh, people I, tried to contact didn't know how to help me or they thought that talking about it was the help but that was not really helpful because I think that you need to go deeper to to what happened I think this happened already before I had my language so it did really happen from when I was really small I think that you have to go to the body and find uh, that memories from before you have your your language is really feelings. Also, it's imprinted in in the body, like what they call implicit memories, or is it something? Is it is it the opposite? Yeah, also it's it's memories that is connected to feelings that is in your stuck in your body, so you can't really remember it in your brain because it's not there it's not yeah yeah, yeah it's not uh, that's later when things happen to you after you are six seven seven years old then the more logic then you have language to understand or put things together and then you will you know then there will the memories will be connected with uh, something that you can talk about and I think, too, you know, in the beginning with these sort of relationships, maybe he was giving you all that love and attention that your father never had. And even though I know that you said the mask came off later, he fulfilled that need in you, that you were yes, important. Yes, in the, in the beginning, yeah, in the beginning, I was just thinking, oh, my God, he has a son. He is so interested in this son, which my father never was. So I was thinking, oh, my God. I, I think I fell in love with, with that connection he had with his son. And I was thinking, this is a keeper. I have to try to keep him. Because um, I thought he had this very, very good qualities that I, I thought my father lacked. But after a while, I just realized, oh, my God, this is not what I thought it was. And did he actually, here's the thing, because you come across, Lisa, as, like you said, you're a lawyer. You're, you come across very strong, very confident in your business world. Mm. Do you feel as confident in your relationship world? 
or no. did you find that at first he built you up on a pedestal and you thought this is fantastic, you were getting the attention, the love, the nurturing, you saw the good traits, and then over time he took the confidence away from you? Mm, yeah, that's what happened. And, uh, and uh, the way that happened, that was really horrible because I think that um, the, this marriage also uh, traumatized uh, me because he took away my, my children, all of them. What he did was that he wanted to be the, their main figure, their main uh, caretaker because right. he, had been in, he had been in a marriage before me. And in this marriage, there were two children. The mother had two children. And he, he couldn't cope with that. He couldn't maneuver himself into a father figure. He wanted to have contact with them, as I understood it, but he didn't get it. Uh, he didn't manage to, to uh, get in contact with them as he would like to. Uh, it was not a healthy contact that he wanted but it sounded uh it sounded as a reasonable explanation when he told me he told me about it so he wanted to he wanted to uh me to you know breastfeed so that he could uh, feed the baby and that was really hard because i <laughs> i didn't get to be the mother so that was so shocking for me mm. and I couldn't go into this competition he made a competition out of it like he would he wanted to have the the whole um uh, he wanted the children to go to him all the time and be with him and he managed that that was what happened when we were when the children got old enough to, to walk and you know talk themselves when we came to um, uh, our family gatherings and all everything, he would be sitting with four children. We had three together, and he had one child before. Right. With, yep. Yeah. He would be sitting with all these children on his lap, and I would be sitting alone. And it was so terrible. And I didn't understand what was wrong with me. I thought I was, you know. I was, um, it made us a, a big hole in my chest and it was aching so bad and it got worse and worse and I couldn't talk to him about it because I thought that there was something wrong with me. But what he, he had done, he had just, you know, I can't explain it, but he had made a competition between the oldest child, which he had a very close relationship with. And when you have one child that wants to be with his father and there's another one coming, of course, the, the next one will try also to get attention. And there will be a, a competition between the children and the next one will also. So they didn't, I was a, a totally invisible person. They, um, I think that I couldn't, I couldn't stand it anymore. So I had to, you know, I had to leave. And that was when, the, when the children realized that, oh my God, there's another person. <laughs> so the oldest one, 
was very eager to talk to me when I had moved because I wasn't invisible in that setting. And that was, it was, I will just tell you that the, the most painful experience I have ever had that I can remember. That was so, that was so terrible. So uh, I don't know. I don't think I was drinking more because of that, but uh, I, I was drinking, yes. I was always drinking in the holidays because he would just take the children, especially if we were quarreling, he would just say to the children, come on, in the car. And they would drive off. Drive off. He, um, and I, and the, I, was just, the... I was just paralyzed. I didn't know what yeah. to do. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't run after him and take the children from him. And if he took my infant to breastfeed, he wanted to breastfeed my babies. I couldn't go after him and take the child. You know, that would not be. Um, I thought that was so terrible to even think. So I didn't know what to do. I got just, you know, he outmaneuvered me. It sounds like I'm no expert, but that man sounds to me like he was in, he just wanted to control everything. Yeah. He wanted to look good in front of people. Look at me. All my kids mm. love me. Aren't I fantastic? Yeah. He made you totally irrelevant, which as a mother, you were denied your motherhood yeah. and the nurturing and the time and the bonding that yeah. you had carried these children for nine months and he basically just ripped them from out of you. Were you actually yeah. frightened of this man? Because you told yeah. me he was powerful. He, you know, yeah. he was wealthy. I was, um, I was afraid of his, uh, his uh, temper, but he never right. laid a, he never laid a hand on any of us. But my children have been so afraid of this man because he is so hurtful in his words. So they don't have contact with him today. So everything is changed. But my oldest daughter could tell me that when we got divorced, uh. She tried to speak up for me, and then he would throw her out of the house and tell her that she had to leave, get out, get out of my life, and never come back. That was what he said to her, and she was 16 years old. That was because she was trying to defend me when he was talking very, very badly of me. So I, I got to learn this recently not so many years ago. And I was just thinking, oh my God, I thought that he only was after me because I right. always thought that he was, you know, he was maneuvering himself and this, all this, but he left the children really when they were quite young. He just moved to the States and told me that now he was tired of being a father. So now- How convenient. I, yeah, <laughs> so I should take over. No, that was what he was doing with all the, with, with just the, with the dogs and with the children and everything. It's a very, very uh, opposite of what he was when I met him. It, but it wasn't healthy relationship with the children. It was, uh, and I didn't know either that he was really mean to them when I was not there. But it I was very manipulative and one-sided, and children need both parents. Yeah. He didn't even he didn't even have any consideration from what the children needed. It was what no. he needed. He yeah. needed to it, look good. He needed to control them. And then yeah. one day he decides, 
oh, I've had enough. And let me tell you, I know about this thing. I know what, I know exactly what you are talking about. Yeah, this, this, I've read so many books about this kind of people. And it seems to me that everybody of these guys, these men or women also, of course, there are women. Yes, yes, so there's both, yes. Yes, of course, that's very important to say here because of the people listening. So don't get me wrong. There's, but I have, you know, I'm heterophile, I'm, I'm not homosexual. So I only meet these guys in my relationships. But of course, there are women. But it seems to me that every one of them have, you know, studied the same course, read the same book. They do it exactly the same yeah. way. Yep. Yep. And if you have met one of them, you have met them all. But but still, they are in disguise. Some of them are so, um, I wouldn't say complicated. What is it? it it's, it's uh, you know, you have the one that is overt. You know, they have narcissistic traits and they don't give a damn if everybody knows. It doesn't matter. We know such people. Some of them even have been president. And then you know, <laughs> then you know someone else. They will hide their narcissistic right. traits, right? And they will uncover, take off their mask when they think they are safe. Yes. When you are so deep involved in their in their spider web that you can't get out, or they think you will not go. So, so that's uh, what I've experienced, that it's more and more covert. And yeah, I, didn't rec I haven't recognized these. Uh, I, I recognize the overt persons and I stay away from them. I'm not interested in it. So I must have been, uh, I must have been a little bit more cured. But, um, but I don't recognize when they are very clever in their hiding. And you know they are they are like altruistic. They help others. They are everybody likes them. They are really charismatic. They are they seem very kind. They give a lot of man, money to charity if they are rich. They are <laughs> taking care of their old father. That was the the last one I met. <laughs> I no, thought it's that true. And a lot are in powerful positions. They hide yeah. behind the uniform. Or, yeah. and the mask and you know people have them on a pedestal in society and think oh this guy I couldn't possibly imagine this about this person man yeah. or woman and yeah. I have watched and like you we have both discovered that they're the scariest types yeah because it's something you can sense but you cannot actually prove yeah and you can't prove it and if you break out of a, such of a such a marriage if this marriage has been for 35 years you will be the one that everybody looks at and think is crazy this man is so wonderful or oh, this woman that you have uh, as a man has been person yeah we'll just call yeah. person yeah 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 and uh, but but i discovered the last uh, the last uh, relationship i had uh, lasted one and a half year i don't think it would have lasted so long if we had lived in the same city and met each other very often but we lived in two different places of the country and we only met in the weekends so i think that was the reason why i didn't um i didn't uh realize this uh, before one and a half year yeah. But it could, it could, we were, we were planning on moving together. 
And the day after I broke up with him, or the day before, I can't remember, I dreamt, I had this dream. I was putting together my my points to see if I was doing him wrong because I, I was thinking, am I crazy? I have to go to, to my therapist and ask because I, I had a therapist at the time because I was working with some other issue that was really difficult. But, but I went to my therapist and asked her, am I just crazy or is this red flags? And then I read what I had put together and she said, no, that is red flags. Yeah, absolutely. And I dreamt that I was climbing up this mountain with my car on a very, very narrow road, very steep, round and round. And then suddenly there was a bit of the mountain that fell. And I'll, I also, I knew that I, if I didn't jump from my car, I would also fall. So I jumped, but I was just seeing this big, big, big piece of the mountain uh, coming. And I was thinking, I can't escape this. This is going to land on top of me and kill me. But I was just, something happened in the air. So I got to move. And when I fell down uh, on the ground, this rock was falling just beside me. Hmm. So I was thinking, oh my God, I just, uh, you know, what do you call, what do you call it? I just escaped. I, I would say you, I you just, just avo- avoided the worst mistake of your life. <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. <laughs> interesting dream, my first mistake. Yeah, it was interesting. It was just, you know, telling. Yeah, it's true. Like someone was telling you, mm. you know, don't make this move. Save mm. yourself while you can. You mm. know? <laughs> like, yeah, I think I I. Th- think I feel now that the listener must think that now you lost it now you lost the connection with the with the alcohol why are we talking about this but I think it is because I'm trying to dig deeper to find out why yeah, why why did why I drink pain? why did you drink if That's I don't, right. yeah and if I don't do anything about this that I think brought me to drink in the first place it seems yeah and look bit, yeah well, we're talking about relationships in general, and I think a lot of our listeners might sit back and say, you know what, I know somebody like that, or I'm involved yeah. with somebody like that, or I escaped somebody like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the reason there. And I mean, relationships, as we know, can be very, very difficult, even just ones at work, your partner, your family, your friends. Mm. You know, people can le- lead you to believe that this is what I am and this is how I appear to be. Just like when we were drinking, we weren't true to ourselves. And now we're just better versions of ourselves because I don't know about you, but I didn't like myself in the end at all. And I Mm. drank more, I think, to not have to face who I was because I couldn't deal with the drunk me. I was just in that mode of this is how I am. This is, you know, I'm just going to end up killing myself drinking. I didn't care in the end. And when you present that way, that's not very nice for people that love you to look at and think, no. What's no. got into you? What is wrong yeah. with you? Yeah. No, or I'm I, I, pretending I, to I can, be happy, you know? Yeah. I can recall that, the, you know, that I think that I was so ashamed of yeah. my my drinking because it was I so out of control, the broken switch, yeah. you know. So yeah. I, I would embarrass myself in the end of the evenings and I, it was some, you know, some, uh experiences i would you know 
I would love not to have. One of them was that I, my 60th birthday, and I think that uh, many, many young ones need to know this because I've, I've been in some Zoom meetings where many young, uh, uh, you know, the from the AAS, uh, I, uh, I'm sorry. IAS, yeah, that's okay. Uh, um, have said that I'm going to this wedding and I'm so afraid that I will drink and I'm so tempted. And I'm just thinking, I've been so clever now. It's been months. I could, maybe I could just take the glass of champagne or. That's the Yeah, they're really reaching out. And then I, I have told them this story about my my 60th birthday where I were, was I was still drinking then of course because I stopped um, uh, when I was 62 63 63 I mean so um, I was not drinking so very very much in the beginning because I was thinking of all these uh, you know did the, uh, when people rise up and they want to Hold like the, the toast and everything, yeah. Toast and the speeches and everything, and I was also thinking about my old father. He was the only one of my parents, and I have two set of parents. I mean, they were not there because my mother was very sick and dement, and my father's wife, which I love very much, she was also too sick to come. So it was only right. my father there, and right. and, yep. and also my mother's husband, and both of them held these. I'm sure, lovely speeches, but I can't remember them mm -hmm. because because what I did was I was drinking so much in the in the end of mm -hmm. the evening when everybody had gone home. I would just think, oh no, I can just you know drink, take a glass of red wine and another one and another one and another one. So parts of the evening and also the beginning where where the dinner and the toast and the preached and my father's which was important to me uh, in spite of our very difficult relationship. I was thinking that he would say something nice. I'm sure he did. He, he, he didn't, he was not, of course not, not bad when he was, he was. In front of yeah. people. <laughs> he, he was, he was, yeah, but he was, uh, he was, he was, a, he was a good man also, but he was, yeah, was yeah. a difficult, difficult Difficult. Yeah, I get it. I get difficult it. To, difficult to relate to, unsure of himself. He would lash out all the time and, and hurt people. That was his. So uh, you don't thing. you don't remember that you don't remember the speech, right? I don't remember anything. And it made me really sad because mm -hmm. I needed to hear something good from yeah. him. Right. So I was just trying to tell these young people in the zoo, just think about that. If you mm -hmm. want to remember the, the whole wedding. Don't start on the champagne because you know where we'll go. <laughs> you know that if you're playing it forward, you will you will drink yeah. the whole evening and you won't forget the most important things. But people will say to me, and I'm sure people have said to you, Lisa, your voice sounds different. You sound so happy. People have said that to me, and it's because oh. it's genuine. Yeah, it's that's real. So nice. That's so good. Yeah, I I really hope that. I don't have so much contact with uh, a lot of people and uh, I don't think my sister recognizes anything they don't really get it you know I don't, don't have anyone 
I don't think we can just stop and that's it. We're cured. That's what they think. Oh, you stopped drinking. Fantastic. You're good now. Yeah. But but my brother goes, (laughs) he he goes, oh, we went to a winery. Oh, God, I can't say that in front of you. And it's like I've got this terminal disease that you can't mention the word winery or bottles. I said to him, I am fine. Just act normal. It's okay. I've done work. I've got a toolbox. I know yeah. what to do. I'll let you know if I'm not comfortable, you know. But yeah. they think they treat you. I said, don't treat me any different. You're getting yeah. a better version now. Just enjoy it, you know. Yeah. Mm. So crazy. So crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to sort of, um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to really contribute, Ned. I mean, we're welcome to come back and, and go into a second part of this and a follow-up. Um, I don't know what other advice you can give the listeners that you've learned in your six months on this journey so far? I don't know. Did I? Uh, now my memory is playing a trick on me. It meant, maybe, did I mention how surprised I am about this journey? I think Please, I did. Please go did ahead. I? Sure. No, just go on with it. Maybe it's go a repetition, on. but I just have to say it because if, if anyone had told me this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, under, first of all, I wouldn't have understood it. Second, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember one of the first zooms I was in. That was the that was before the lady zooms uh, started, of course, because it's it's uh, six months ago, I think. And that was the sober squad. So I remember I met either it was Polly or Karina. I can't remember, or maybe both, but they or she was saying how wonderful it was and mentioning the things that was had been as a really was better in in the life and how yeah how happy they were that made a very big impression on me so i just want to deliver that you know to the others that it's really true it's it is really true of course there are bad days we all have bad days. Life isn't just a, it's like chef shows with this, you know, mm-hmm. this variety mm-hmm. is uh, all over the place and it's just a, not a straight line and it's not a, a way of climb up uh, a mountain. Uh, it's, it's just a lot of turns and switch, uh, yeah, you know. So, uh, but I think all in all, it's really a big surprise because you get to, discover some things that you haven't done before as a grown-up you you get to discover who are you really what do you want what do you want to do now who do you want to be and is there some pieces you can pick up from yourself when you were before you drank I think it is for me I think that I had to adjust to my father's uh, will and and you know feelings about who I was who he wanted me to be I tried mm-hmm. so hard to get his love. So I would adjust myself and be another girl just to please him and to see if that could work. Absolutely. Work. Oh, I it so relate to that. Yep. It didn't work. It didn't work, of course. No. Nothing worked that I did. Nothing I, was going to work. Do everything. I, would draw, mm. I would draw in his anatomy book and, and ruin it because I, would, I wanted his attention so bad. And what I would do, I would do even... The, a really bad thing I did because I didn't get his attention when I was drawing in this book. He was just, well, somewhat, you know, surprised. 
I thought it would be angry and maybe talk to me and see me in the eye. It didn't do that. So what I did was really drastic. I threw my dog outside the balcony. That would get his attention, but not the way I wanted. The dog survived, and uh, but but Thank he broke you. one leg. But that was oh. terrible. I was six years old, so I didn't really get it. I didn't really understand what I did. But I I know I did it to get his attention. But he was yeah. just, you yeah. know, he didn't get mad as I hoped. Maybe. He didn't really talk to me properly. He just said, oh, you're just curious. You just wanted to see what happened. I didn't get it. It was him I needed. But it was really terrible. And for many, many years, I was just thinking, oh, my God, I am really a sociopath. I will not. I would be a very bad person since I did that with a dog. But I finally realized why I did it. Yeah. yeah. And that's a terrible, it's a terrible story. But I have to forgive myself. I have to. I've lived with this shame for this because of this dog thing so many years. Poor old Max. I was so fond of that dog. I was so I loved it. I loved Max. So I don't know what you know. I don't know what what happened, really. Why did I do that? But I think this is my theory, and I think I'm right. And I'm looking for this. Um, I think I'm looking for these pieces that I've, you know, suppressed all these years. So I'm looking yeah. to have, you say, You always say that uh, connection is the opposite as, uh, uh, of addiction. Of addiction. But yes. I think yeah. the most important thing about that is that you have to, first of all, have seek the connection with yourself. With yourself, yes. Yeah, I think so. If you can't do it at the same time, it's like they say in AA, let, let everybody else love you before you can love yourself and find yourself. That's, that's wonderful. But I have also to find the connection with the true self, the true Lisa. You know I, I have to find the bits and pieces that are suppressed. I think I can help you there. I've got a mantra that I say every day. It's not easy, but I, I've got it on my mirror and I, and I say it to myself every day and it goes like this. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. You need to be saying that to yourself. Every listener out there, who has low self-esteem or doesn't like themselves or thinks they need somebody else's approval, say that to yourself repeatedly because you deserve it. So it's, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. Yeah, but for me, this doesn't work. And I think that is because it's, it, it's on a deeper level. I had all this, I mean, all the things that I you can attach a note to, I had written uh, i am good enough on my mirror on my tv screen but good on enough my for refrigerator. what Do you know what i, I mean? am good enough as i am yeah I, okay I'm good, yeah I'm, I'm good enough but it didn't help didn't now okay but so i don't think i don't think that that's why i have to get this therapist who can understand that we have to dig deeper we have to go back before the language was I think that this is this has to do with um, what did really happen in the, in the beginning of my childhood that, that I can't just talk about. It, it doesn't help to talk to talk with a therapist. It has to be, I think, somatic somatic experience or something like that. that 
Uh, Gabor Maté also talks about this and writes about this. And there is a good guy, Peter Levine, one of the most famous uh, psychiatrists or psycho mm -hmm. uh, what is the other word? Not psychiatrist, but uh, psych psychologist. Psychologist or therapist. He was really educated as an engineer, really, but he yeah. found this uh, really good, um, He's good met yeah. method to treat uh, uh, complex uh, PTSD and also uses this uh, uh, on children who have forgotten uh, or have memories that are, you know, um, from childhood before they could speak. Mm. Yeah, I guess that mantra works if you want to accept yourself and you really don't like yourself. What you're talking about, and I do get it, is a totally different thing. You need you no, need no. to connect. Why? You know, this for me is because I didn't like myself. I did not like myself. And yeah. now I have to forgive myself. I've done nothing really wrong. And the yeah. things I have done wrong, I've made it as much as I can, right? I can't change the past, the mistakes that I have made. But I couldn't move forward until, do you know what I mean? I got to that point where. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm talking well, you about. And I, yeah, you're talking about something completely different. I know, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about the, the, the why the pain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the why the pain. And to yeah. find out why did I really drink so much in the first place? Why did I became addictive? Yeah. Uh, uh, because I think that I was more sensitive than many other people who are, you know, have control over their alcohol thing. I think maybe they also would be addicted in the end if they drink so if they drank so much as I did. But but I think that they don't need to drink so much uh, because they don't have these issues. I just I can say one thing. I've never known anybody's first experience with alcohol to be 96% proof, no matter what the quantity. <laughs> like that's, that is, whoo, the introduction crazy. to alcohol. For that's you were so, so how old? You were so young. Yeah. But remember, it was only a little, yeah. what do you call it? But, a cork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Maybe it, just an inch or a half an inch or a little inch. Yeah, no, less than that. It was just a small, just yeah. a few drops just so you could taste that I knew it was totally dangerous. It must so have tasted off. No, no, no. <laughs> Not with the sugar yeah. and the lemon and, oh. the, <laughs> and the raisins. and the... You sound so experienced, so young. Yeah. <laughs> you obviously watched somebody do it and yeah. you knew. You knew my how. mother. My mother. She served her guests with this on uh, in the wintertime. Yeah. That was and the, the winter drink. I think our mothers, and I know from mine, they, she only told me, I reckon, what she wanted me to know. There was a lot of secrets about what they, you know what I mean? You say, yeah. you know, this and this and this, but I've discovered a lot more since my mother passed away from now relatives that I didn't know about when she was younger. It's, yeah. um, it's very, very interesting. But, you know, this is why the path of sobriety is not a race. It's a marathon. We are going to continue to learn and die. Like you said, if you and I spoke in one year from now, you say to me, yeah. you know what, King, I remember you and I talking when I was at six months. And now, now I kind of understand what is going on because you're going to do more yeah. work and you're going to dig yeah. deeper and you're going to find the right person. Eventually that can help you. And that's what my, I'm saying to you. Just, just keep going until you find the person that can help you. 
You have yeah. to move on if you're not getting the help that you need and the answers yeah, I have that to you phone, want. Uh, I have to phone Peter Levine. Yeah, he's dead. Is he alive? He what? is alive. He is alive. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Last time I looked. Goodbye. No, Good. I don't know. Give no, he is alive. Yep. But the one yep. person that knows about... Him, something. Yeah. The one person who knows about this drink I made when I was 14 is Andrea. You know, German Andrea. She yes. would probably Chips. Yeah. drink it yeah. in... In, in Austria, yep. German, Switzerland. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny? Every every country has different the cultures, but we all drink. Australia, where I grew up, drinks a huge amount of alcohol. The yeah. UK drinks a huge amount of alcohol. German beer fest. You know, everything worldwide in a lot of yeah. you know, countries, we're just surrounded by it. And... Um, as I said, it's just been the norm. I hope, I hope, like you said, with the with our Zooms now, we're seeing a lot of younger people come through and it's terrific that they're realising, you know what, I don't want, maybe they've seen somebody, you know, that's older than them, further down the path, you mm. know, bad experiences with health or maybe even dying or just look at them and think they're a mess. Yeah. And they're recognising, I don't want to be like that. And I think it's just for everybody out there who's just listening, even if you just take the step to say no, you know, the guy I had on with me yesterday I was interviewing, he said the prep the three preparations, you know, so the three Ps, you've got to prepare, you've got to um, basically prepare, what was it, practice and persist. Patience. Patience. Yeah. 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 I pa think it yeah. was four. It was four well, in he, the he end. He put four in, sorry. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. He said plan, practice, patience, and then persist. He added a fourth one. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And it's true. You know, we're going to keep, we're going to continue to learn and things are going to pop up. There's a lot down there. Yeah. You can't expect to put things and stuff them down, all your emotions for so many years, 20, 30 years, and all of a sudden, you mm. know, they're going to they're gonna just pop up like flowers every now and again. Oh, what about this one? What about that one? So yeah. I think I, I, I've got a long journey ahead of me. Um, you know, you may agree that you have too. But if we can share with the listeners and let them know that they, you know, I live in high definition now. I got to an, a stage where I was living in grey. It's not like that anymore for me. You mm. know, life is terrific. I'm discovering things that I used to enjoy as a kid. I'm discovering things that I, you know, stopped doing as an adult. We're enjoying yeah. life. I'm embracing life. And it's good. It's really, really good. You can get over to the better side. And I wish I, you know, you know, as I said, you can't go back. But, you know, moving forward, you know, I think that we've got, like you said, it's been a lovely surprise. It's a really nice way of putting yeah. it. And I think I think you're on to something to look at um, what you did as a child. I, many have talked about that. And I also think it is a good idea to dig uh, some photos uh, of yourself to see uh, what kind of you know, spirit did you have before you started drinking? I, I, I'm looking, I'm looking for that. I, I'm looking for that. The smile, maybe the happy face, the, the, or the, or the angry face. I mean, there should be something feisty, something strong, something. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, we did that today. We were sharing in our group photos of when we were young. And uh, somebody sent me a photo out of the blue and I was just arms folded, like, I don't want to be here. I'm stubborn. I had attitude and I thought, oh, that explains so much. You were six years old. What a future. You know, God yeah. help whoever gets in your way. That's 
yeah so so you know, I, yeah. yeah so i think some of the stuff that we we have in us now is uh i mean we we haven't totally lost ourselves i think no I think we, no, no no we'll just have to take the good things but but uh i'm looking for some i think there are some pieces that i have to be sure that i have found because i don't want to i want to have this contact uh i think when you are when i was really really lonely and i was painfully lonely uh, after my divorce it was terrible i couldn't be alone at all and now i enjoy it yeah. so i have i have done something right because i think it is a big step that you enjoy your own company you can be with yourself yeah, yeah. you can and you can sit in your own skin and it's yeah. fine yeah, yeah. I'm the and same. that's a big that's a big step so yep. something must i must have done something right and and the therapy or whatever it is or reading these books i don't know but i worked a lot with this loneliness because i thought it was so important to to get to like myself so much that i could be with myself and the preachers appreciate my what is it appreciate my own company that's a big that was a big step because it was very expensive also to be very lonely and not be not be able to be alone could be cost it could cost a lot of money always go out and meet somewhere <laughs> yeah. yeah it cost me a lot of money in bottles that's what it cost me a lot of money in but uh you know that's yeah lonely loneliness and isolation as i said it gets back to connection make sure you connect make sure you connect um everybody you know as human beings this is what we seek we're basically social creatures yeah, and i got course. to the point where i didn't think i was and i thought oh i just like being, i didn't like being on my own i'm a people person and a lot of people are and when you get the right people that you really enjoy you know it's like the old adage you don't know what you're missing until you sort of get it and then when you get it and you lose it then you know what you're missing you've got to yeah. experience it to know yeah of course i i do so i'm I not a totally i'm not a i'm not a totally uh, uh aramis what do you call it when you live alone you call it uh, yeah no i'm not like that i, I like <laughs> yeah but i like people also but i also like you know like to be with yeah. myself too so it's both it's but both balance just yeah. balance anyway all right so is there anything else you want to add before we take a No I think well, we have uh, you know this would be a very long one four people listening to <laughs> <laughs> Well it's live you know it's like having yeah. a big chat with your girlfriend of which I can't thank you enough for spending your time and I'm so glad that we did get to chat you know because for you and I as I said we've known each other since the beginning of our journey so mm. we're going to continue to have these conversations and I can tell you what I discover and you can tell me what you discover so Again, I just want to thank you and again the listeners don't forget we have the website at sobertownpodcast.com it is your one stop shop you'll hear people like Lisa and I there and many people telling their stories you won't feel alone you will connect with somebody and whatever you do just tip the poison down the sink so from yes. me king 13 and from my special guest from Norway Lisa? Thank you so much. Thank you so much and love you all and take care and don't drink and don't give up. <laughs> and don't give up. And on that note we'll say goodbye and God bless and I will see you all next time. Tune in for the next episode.